invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14, the very last few verses of 14, then we're going to get into verse 15. The title of the message is Responding to God, and it really has a lot to do about worship. In fact, the end of the message today is going to be explaining what worship is not and what worship is. So we're picking up exactly where we left off last week. Remember the story last week? We saw Jesus walking on the water. In fact, we had a demonstration of that after the service was over. We had people walking on the water out in the road. If you weren't here last week, you missed the high tide. It was unexpected. The wind must have been blowing just the right way, and so people were coming and having to wade through water to get out to the, to the thing, and I, to their cars, and I thought, you know, how ironic. We see Jesus walking on the water, and we're walking in the water. But you remember the story. The disciples are told to get in the boat by Jesus. He commands them to get in the boat to go to the other side. It was only supposed to be a three-hour tour. The weather started getting rough. The tiny ship was tossed. Wait, wait, that's different. That's Gilligan's Island. But what amazed me is at the end of the, the end, they get back in the boat and immediately the wind stops. And you catch what the disciples do. They worship. In fact, they actually say, certainly you are God's son. Now, God had proclaimed that at the baptism of Jesus. Even the demons had proclaimed that when he cast out the demons of the Gadarene demoniac. And they said, what do we have to do with you, son of God? But the disciples, the light bulb finally goes on for them. And they worshiped and said, what any music, it was just their mouths speaking. Certainly you are the son of God. That's worship. Worship can be music. Worship can be speaking. Worship can be the way you live your life. And so we get to the passage we're looking at this morning. And I want you to think about worship. What do you do when you come into the presence of God? Well, we're there now. You worship. Mercy Me had a song called I Can Only Imagine. And it's that picture of when you see God in heaven. Will I stand in his presence or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? Have you ever thought about that? When you see Jesus face to face for the first time, I don't know. Will we even be able to stand? Will we even be able to speak? Because it's going to be beyond anything we've ever experienced before. But two ways we can approach God in worship, or, or not in worship, but just two ways we can approach God. One is to approach Him needy. The other is to approach Him like the religious people did. And those are the two contradictory people we're looking at this morning. So let me read the end of chapter 14. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent word into all the surrounding districts and brought to him all who were sick. And they implored him that they might touch, just touch the fringe of his cloak. And as many as touched it were cured. So the disciples have been fighting the storm for about nine hours in the boat. Jesus walks on the water. He gets in the boat. And it says the wind dies down. And now they land at Gennesaret. Gennesaret wasn't as much of a city as it was a, an area, a plain, a fertile plain, in between Capernaum and Magdala. And so that's where they're going. And probably Jesus intended, this is a little getaway for the disciples. The press of the crowds, thousands of people have been hounding them, and, and not in a bad way. Jesus gladly healed people. He fed the 5,000. But they get to Gennesaret, and when they see him, they recognize him, and they send word into all the districts. And I thought, how do you do that? I mean, we'd be texting or calling or something, FaceTiming people to let them know, Jesus is here, you need to get here. But the word spread, and so thousands more are coming. And, and it's interesting, 
They just implored him. They begged him, can we just touch the fringe of your cloak? Perhaps the tassels off of his cloak. Well, we see the woman that Jesus healed that had the issue of blood, and it's recorded in more than just Matthew's gospel. Do you remember she just, the press of the crowd, she just said, I can't even get to talk to Jesus. She just touched the hem of his garment. And the way Mark describes it, Jesus looks at his disciples and says, who touched me? They're saying, how can we tell you who touched you? There's all these people around. Everybody's touching you. He knew something happened. A woman of exhibiting faith just touched the hem of his garment. Had that word gotten out to the followers, and now they're saying, all we need to do is just touch your cloak. And it says, as many as touched his cloak were healed. Which makes me wonder, are there some that didn't touch his cloak? They brought all the sick to him. And, and the previous passages where Jesus healed people, he healed every kind of disease and sickness. He healed everybody that was brought to him. He cast out demons. But in this case, it said everyone who touched him were healed. Come to God as needy. These folks had to acknowledge, I am sick. They were physically sick. But you come to Jesus spiritually needy. Not religious, but coming just as you are. Isn't that good news? God does not wait for me to get my act together. He doesn't wait for me to clean myself up. I come to God just as I am, and he heals me. Not just the physical issues, but spiritual issues that are eternally significant. So come to God as needy. And then I want you to catch the distinction here. In the midst of that, what do you think is going on with Jesus healing people? There's joy, right? There's celebration. There's people who haven't been able to walk their entire life who are walking. There's people who have been sick in their bed. They've been brought by their friends to Jesus. They just touch his cloak and they're healed. I would even imagine Jesus is joyful at this moment. Then we get to the religious people because they show up. Let me read the passage, verses 1 through 6 of 15. Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from the Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said to them, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and he, he who speaks evil of father and mother is to be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever I have that would have benefited you has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or mother. And by this you in, invalidate the word of God for the sake of your tradition. So then, I don't know how much time has elapsed, but probably right on the heels of this healing experience, a delegation comes from Jerusalem of the religious leaders, the, the Pharisees and scribes. Had they been sent for? Is word getting out around the region, around the Sea of Galilee? Hey, we need help. This guy is disturbing the peace, so to speak. Thousands are following him. We're about to lose our foothold on religion in Jerusalem. And so they come. And I would imagine before they came, they got together and said, okay, how are we going to stop this guy? What's going to be our mode of operation? Well, let's, let's accuse him of not following the tradition. So Jesus has just healed thousands of people. And the delegation comes and says, we got a bone to pick with you. You ever had somebody do that? They come to you, i got a bone to pick with you. You want to say to them, go pick your own bones? But here's what the best they could come up with. Why don't your disciples wash their hands when they eat? Now, there was prescription in the Old Testament for the priest before he entered the, the temple to offer sacrifice, special cleansing, ceremonial, and that's what they're talking about, the ceremony of washing your hands. Studying this week, I was amazed to find out 
They even prescribed how much water you had to use. The minimal amount was enough to fill up one and a half eggshells. And why do you why do you have to wash your hands? Some some scribes were teaching that there's a special demon named Shivta that would attach to your hands while you're asleep. And if you didn't wash him off, Shivta would enter your body when you ate stuff. Can you imagine that? They had taken this prescription for the priest and applied it to everybody. Before you eat, you have to wash. And it wasn't just soap and water. It was ceremonially. You had to hold your hands like this and pour water over your hands. As soon as it gets to your wrist, you do this. And the water, you pour a little bit more water on there. It wasn't cleaning anything. It was just ceremonial. But they used that to accuse Jesus' followers. Why do you break the tradition of the elders? Was this God telling them they needed to do that? No. It was the older folks among the religious leaders that said, we're going to wash our hands. In fact, some of them washed hands not just at every meal, but in between a course of every meal. You see it, the rut they had gotten into? You see the grip that religion had on them? It wasn't giving them life. It was just pressing law down upon them. The law of the Old Testament was to point us to our need of a Savior. These people had become very comfortable with it. Tradition's comfortable because we controlled it. So Jesus answers them. All right, you're talking about my disciples breaking your tradition. How about the very commandment of God that says you should honor your father and mother? In fact, that has a promise to it. If you read the passage in, in Exodus 20, verse 3, honor your father and mother. So you, Actually, it's later in chapter 20 of Exodus. So that your days may be long upon the face of the earth. That's a promise of God. If you honor, what does it mean? Place high value on, prize them. We've all got fathers and mothers. Mine have gone on to be with the Lord. But the commandment of God is to honor them as long as they're alive. And even after they're alive, don't say anything against them. Any parents in here want this message to get to your kids today? Any kids getting an elbow from your mom or dad? It applies to all of us, doesn't it? So Jesus contradicts or he, he puts aside the tradition of man, the command of God, Old Testament, Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother. So you're worried about me whether I wash my hands or not. I'm worried about you and how you honor your father and mother. In fact, he gives an illustration. He says it's commanded that you should honor your father and mother, and what you've done is taken any benefit that could go to your father and mother and have sacrificed it to God. You pronounce korban. Mark's gospel uses the word korban. And it, this was a law. Once you, once you use that word over your sacrifice, you couldn't use it for anything to help your parents. You were forbidden use it for that. Unless you said Corban again and then it kind of took the, the blanket off of it and you could use it and then say it again. You see the rut religion had got these people into? To say to your mother or father, I've got the means to help you but I can't help you because I'm keeping it for myself. Claiming that you've sacrificed it to God for the sake of their tradition. God said honor your father and mother but you say but you say what I have that could have benefited to you has already been dedicated to God, and so it's not available. And so you invalidate the Word of God. Their religion had become intentionally external and superficial because that was their religion. It wasn't what God placed in them, and it wasn't what God promised them for the future. Tradition, and listen, tradi all tradition is not bad, but if tradition supersedes the Word of God, it's bad. It's wrong. So let's look at the application of that. How do they respond? In fact, how does Jesus respond to them? Verses 7 through 9. You hypocrites. Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. 
This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. So this delegation comes to Jesus. Why are your disciples breaking the tradition of men? Jesus looks at him and says, you're hypocrites. A hypocrite was a play actor. In these days, they'd have entertainment, they'd have plays, and the, the people would wear masks and pretend to be something different. That's exactly what he's saying. You're acting like you're spiritual, but the truth is you're in a dead religion. You hypocrites. And he quotes a prophecy from Isaiah. These people honor me with their lips, but the heart's far from me. There's that word honor, honor again. We're supposed to honor our father and mother. We're supposed to put high value and prize them. They're claiming to place high value on God with their mouth, but their hearts are gone. Their hearts aren't after God. Their hearts are after themselves. Their hearts are after their stuff. Men and women, may that never be said of us, that we honor God only with our lips, but with our mouths. With our mouths we honor God, but with our lives we're not honoring God. So you're hypocrites. You're teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. They're not God's precepts. They're not God's commandments. You're teaching them as though they're from God and they're from you. They're your tradition. And you've piled this on top of the people of Israel. So that's worship. And our worship should not be empty or vain. It shouldn't be us just lip service to God. It should be our whole lives engaged in honoring that which we consider most valued. That's one of my definitions of worship is placing high value on that which you consider most important. That's what we do when we come to God in worship. Let me give you a few things that worship is not and what worship is. Let me look. If you've got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 4. It's amazing this encounter that Jesus has with the woman at the well. What do they talk about? One of the things they talk about is worship. Just to give you the context, Jesus says to his disciples, go into town to buy food and I'm going to go to the well. And so he goes to the well, he meets this woman at high noon, probably nobody else was going to be there. She was a woman with a bad reputation, and yet Jesus has a conversation with her. He offers her living water. In fact, he tells her, she says, well, let me go get my, he says, go get your husband. She said, I can't go get my husband. He said, well, you've rightly spoke because you've had five husbands, and the guy you're with now isn't your husband. She says, I perceive that you're a prophet. And then we get to verse 21, or 20, yeah, 21. Jesus said to the woman, believe me. She, she starts asking him questions about worship. He says, you people say, our people have said we worship in this mountain. You people say we worship over here in Jerusalem. Which is it? Jesus says, woman, believe me. An hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So the first thing that worship is not, worship is not according to the traditions of men. We've already seen that in the passage that we've looked at. But we get comfortable with the place of worship, right? Worship takes place in a building. No, it doesn't. Worship can take place in your car on the way to school or on the way to work. Worship can take place in your bedroom or your prayer closet. Worship is where you address God and place upon him highest value because he's worthy. Worship is not tradition only. We get caught up in style of worship. What kind of songs are we singing? Well, I can't worship to that song. I like newer songs because it makes me focus on the words. Some of the older songs, you, they just roll off your lips without any thought of what you're singing. So worship is not just according to the traditions of men. 
Worship's not with lips only. That's what Jesus has accused them of. You're worshiping me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Do you know it's possible to take God's name in vain in worship? Did you know that? Exodus chapter 20, verse 7 says, Thou shalt, you shall not take the name of your Lord, your God, in vain, for the Lord will leave him, will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. God takes seriously his name. To take his name in vain means to lift up. Take means to lift up. Vain means empty. So you could be singing a worship song with with meaningless thoughts, and you've just taken God's name in vain. You've lifted up his meaning nothing. So don't worship God with your lips only. Don't take God's name in vain in worship. And worship's not music only. I think sometimes people think, well, we've had the worship portion of the service. Now it's time for the preaching. Hopefully the preaching part's worship also. But worship's more than just music. Worship's more than just speaking. Worship is placing the highest value upon that which you consider most important in your life. So that's things worship is not. Let me give you a few things that worship is. Worship is your life. The most significant thing you'll do today and all day, every day, is worship God. You don't have to wait till Sunday to do it. You do it any time you approach God and place high value on Him. You can do it with words, you can do it with music, but you do it with your life. Romans 12, 1 says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So worship should be our life. If you're a child of God, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you're a worshiper. In fact, you're going to worship something. That great theologian Bob Dylan sang a song, you're going to serve somebody. Y'all remember that? He's not a great theologian, by the way. I was joking about that. But you're going to serve somebody. You're going to worship something. It needs to be the one true God who's worthy of our worship. So worship is with your life. Secondly, you only worship what you know. Jesus told the woman at the well, you're worshiping something you don't know. My favorite definition of the word worship, in fact, the word used in John chapter 4 is the word proskuneo. It's two Greek words. It means to kiss towards. Pros towards, kuneo, to kiss. So don't be kissing towards something you don't know. Might have a lip fungus ain't identified yet. What movie is that from? Huh? What movie is that from? He's got a lip fungus we ain't identified yet. Thank you. The rest of these people are too spiritual to watch movies. No, they're going, I think it's Christmas vacation, but I'm not saying it. So we kiss towards God in worship. We are, we are literally in our, in our entire lives, we're giving ourselves up to God to worship. So worship what you know. And the more you know God, the better your worship is. You first come to faith in God, you worship Him. But the longer you walk with Christ, you realize my worship has gotten stronger and sweeter. Because you're worshiping something you know. And the more you know about God, the more you're called to worship God. Third thought, worship is exclusive. We've already looked at this verse, but in Matthew 4, 10, it says, Jesus is being tempted by the devil, and the devil tempts him three times that we know of, and probably a lot more than that, but the three big ones. At the end of it, Jesus says, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Worship is exclusive. We worship God only. In fact, Exodus chapter 20, verse 3 says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. One of the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods. So we worship God and God alone. And the word before me means in front of my face. God's, God's literally saying, 
as I look at your life, there shouldn't be anything in your life that causes you to worship it or that or them other than the Lord God Almighty. So worship is exclusive. And the last one is worship's not optional. I love Philippians chapter 2. Let me just read two verses. I'm going to give you the context. The, the verses that Paul writes in Philippians, God's given him a name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So you're going to worship him one day, whether you like it or not. One day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Who does that involve? Everybody. People who have died without Christ are going to have to bow their knee. Satan himself will have to bow and acknowledge Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We do it willingly as children of God, but one day everybody will do it. And we will join in acknowledging that he truly is who he said he was. He truly is who he came to be. He truly is Savior and Lord. So worship is not optional. So here's my question for you. Do you worship God today? Are you getting to know God so that the more you know about him, the more you want to worship him? Worship is not a drudgery or a duty. It is a pleasure because he's worthy. We're not. So don't wait for next Sunday when somebody's playing music for you to worship. Worship God this afternoon. Worship God in the morning over your quiet time. Read scripture. Read Psalms 145 through 150. They're just worship songs. Let everything that have breath praise the Lord. Be a worshiper. So how do you respond to God? Folks, when you realize you're in the presence of God, you're going to be overwhelmed and you're going to worship. Let's pray together. Father, thank you.